Bigger than Capes. Give me some silence. Hello, welcome to Bigger Than Capes. I'm Zach, and I'm using a really fake radio voice this week. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, hi, hello, welcome to Bigger Than Capes. I'm Zach, and this week I'm joined by Angela. Angela, how are you doing? I'm doing all right, yes. I, I feel like I should be putting on a really nice radio voice, but alas. I, I don't know where that came from. I am. Um, I'm sure that what makes it worse is that when I'll listen back to it, I'll be doing my regular voice, but that felt like a very fake opening gambit. I don't know. Um, I should just pre-record the hello, welcome to Bigger Than Capes. Yeah, and just that, have it That there. would be so much easier than whatever that was. Um, <laughs> so... Here we are. It's been some time since our last, like, Zach and Angela episode. Um, it has, yes. Life got in the way. Life did get in the way. Um, but we're back now, which is nice. Hooray! And, um, so I, I was saving this conversation for when this inevitably came about. That I think we should do, like, a catch-up second opinion of... The Resident Alien TV show. Indeed, yes. Which that's, finished... that's not going to be the main theme of this episode. No. That's just something I think we should do. We should do, because we did threaten it when we uh, originally started watching it. I think there were only three episodes out when we recorded for Resident Alien, the comic. Yes, yeah, I think that's right. So since then, we've now had... Ten. Yes. <laughs> 10 it's finished we've been promised a season two um and we were a little bit harsh on the first three episodes i think is probably the yeah we were quite quite harsh yeah critical one might say yeah i mean harsh in a uh, necessary way and um i like to think that they took on board our opinions and they <laughs> Clearly they did. Or either that or everybody who watched it had the same kind of opinions, including the people who probably wrote it months beforehand. Because suddenly from, like, episode four, five, um, yep. it, it really kind of settled more in on its tone. Yes, it became more comfortable with what it was as a show. Yeah, which was good it was nice it kind of backed down on the what what was it it described itself as at the time a sci-fi an alien invasion sci-fi dramedy murder mystery dramedy yeah yes so it kind of backed down on some of those things like everything got resolved so the murder mystery did get solved i think (laughs) it it did yes because it turns out spoilers for anyone it's been out ages if you've not seen it by now it's tough um but yeah so it turns out the original doctor um harry um who alien harry murdered original doctor harry actually was the one that killed the town doctor 
Yes. We still don't know why. I'm assuming that's going to be Hook for season two. Yeah. That, so, so we find. Do we find that out? But nobody else does. Nobody else does. So they arrest the doctor's wife for the murder, and they assume that she did it. Um, and she is the, suspicious, to be fair. I mean, she's flancing around basically with arrows pointing at her, like, "Yes, look at me! I clearly killed my husband." Um, but yeah, so. They arrest her, but we find out that it's not her, that it was the original human Harry. I don't know whether that was to make us feel a little bit better about the fact that alien Harry killed him in semi-self-defense. Yeah, that that would make some sense if that's the direction this is going in. I think also I was curious if this is going to kind of pave the way to, you know, that volume three of... um, the comic has that kind of storyline where it's the novel that's kind of based on true events. Yeah. I was wondering if this is going to give us maybe not the novel, but like the true events kind of side of things and discovering, you know, the dark secrets behind stuff. I don't know. Maybe not, but I'm glad that got resolved. I think they settled on a more comedy tone with um, Max and Sahar and, Harry, which was really good. There's this, I think it was in episode five. There's a bit where Harry just spits at Max. Yes. While they're in the diner and then goes, Oh my God, that's not something a human would do. Um, <laughs> and I don't know, that just killed me. It shouldn't have, but <laughs> it was any interactions between Harry and those kids were just hilarious. Like that was my favorite part. I think, um, and when yeah. they had their little, they had their little truce, and so I was like laying the cards on the table, and you know, you do this and we'll do that, and yeah, it was it was hilarious to see this, you know, grown up alien having to negotiate with these kids. Yeah, I wasn't expecting that to be like the hook of the show for me, but I'm kind of glad it was. I'm I'm glad that's what brought me back in. Um. I still think some of it wasn't handled great. There's the kind of psychotic FBI. No, well, psychotic agent for some kind of government body. She's real murdery. I really don't like her character. I don't think she added anything. I don't think we needed her in it, frankly. I think you can do the government thing because they had the whole government thing mm. and the the guy i can't remember his name i feel really bad the guy who she was working with who was actually the sensible one who she then tries to kill yes towards the finale um he's really interesting and you could kind of play the government side with him sort of thinking that he's doing the right thing and then is he and he was more interesting she was just an absolute caricature i mean i'm glad they lent they sort of lent into the absurdity of mm. the whole setup and things, but at least most of the characters still felt like the kids still felt like kids. Asta still felt like a fairly well-rounded person. She, you know, FBI lady or, you know, army lady, whatever we're calling her, the government agent just I, felt like she would have been dropped in from something even more broad. I've, I've obviously had to check. They are the certain David. That's it. I like David. Lisa, though, yeah, I really didn't like her character. I don't think she added anything. I don't think she was needed. And she just, 
she she dragged those government bits down because the government bits could actually be kind of interesting and almost threatening and a bit drama yeah. if you want your drama in there. But she just brought it to a level of ridiculousness and it was like, I can't take this seriously. No, I, I do agree. I think they, they kind of played the government aspect in a very different way to how it is in the comic, which I think is one of the downsides of the show. But I think... Yep. Yeah, la- largely does improve. The comedy gets better. The kind of reveals that people know he's an alien as the show goes on really works. Um, so, yeah, despite our initial harshness. It did turn into a really good show. And by sort of episode A, I was really, really into it and really enjoying it. Yeah, and don't worry, I'm completely different from the comic in nearly every way. It's still, there is very little in there that relates to the comic at all oh yeah yeah and i didn't expect to get like invested in like the sheriff mike deputy live oh yeah to the degree i did to the point where it was like um they have that karaoke scene in like Uh, yes oh that was (laughs) that was great it was really nice you know they're friends again i i don't know i I wasn't ready for that because it doesn't make any sense. And no. um, but I don't know that there's some really good bits and there's some really good characters. It's not necessarily laid out in the way I expected as a no. show or as anything. I think it was a really odd everything, but kind of came together in the end. And that's, yeah, I guess that's all we can ask. Yeah. Maybe. And, <laughs> yeah. And they, they sort of left it, open they left it very open for a season two it does feel like that has been the plan all along yeah Um, uh, i think if people were expecting harry to destroy the earth and kill all of humanity at the end of season one they might be disappointed (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean you know the thing is is you knew that was coming you knew he wasn't going to do it it seemed unlikely it's a real like gutsy move if you do end a like light-hearted comedy sci-fi with like and then he killed all the humans um yeah (laughs) i think that would have been a tough sell but yeah but the way they actually played it out in the end because he was gonna do it he was he was very close to doing it and then at the very end he sort of decides not to do it he's like okay i have friends here fine i'm not gonna kill my friend but it was still quite there, there was still the humor about you know th- by the way there's pizza in my fridge or freezer or something yeah like it. <laughs> yeah he leaves these big stack of pizzas on the <laughs> kitchen counter in the freeze the fridge yeah that's yeah painfully relatable actually in a yeah <laughs> yeah so the, it did stick the landing i'm glad there's going to be a season two Mm. Um, and best of luck to them on that. We shall see. Yes, definitely. Um, so I kind of need to tangent into something else starring starring Alan Tudyk for a second. Get, go um, on. Did you ever watch The Tick? Yes, and he was danger. Uh, yeah, he's danger. a boat. Yeah, he's a boat. He's a boat, yeah. I um, After, so... Did it start in, like, 2019, 2018, I think? It, yeah. Oh, 2017. It, 20, 20, yeah, longer ooh. ago than we think, which is true of most media these days. True. So, in 2017, I watched the pilot. Yeah. 
Then again, in about 2018, 2019, I watched the pilot. Um, then last year, I watched the pilot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you're spotting a theme here. Yeah. And then, um, like, a couple of days ago, last week, I actually decided to carry on and watch the rest of it. And man, it's good. Yeah. For those of us with nostalgia for the cartoon back in the day, it's it's quite good. It, it's really weird because I know I've seen the cartoon and I don't remember any of it. I, I remember that there is a tick. It's very good. <laughs> I it's, Yeah. I definitely need to go back to it, but honestly, in the weird, in the weirdest of ways, this has made me think, man, have I been missing out on the tick for all this time? <laughs> um, probably not is the is the answer, but yeah, l- legitimately surprised by how good the tick is. I'm like just a little bit into season two now, and I- I'm real sad that I know there isn't any there's, more after this yeah. season. I mean. Considering how long it took to get two seasons out, though. Um, never say never. <laughs> never say never. Amazon may have a bucket full of money somewhere that they can... Oh, they definitely have a bucket full of money. I mean, they have many buckets full of money. <laughs> Surely they can spare one for some more tick. It seems like a really simple request, but I imagine it's not as simple as I want it to be, where I'm like, hey, more tick, yeah? Um, yeah. Amazon seems to be going a really different way with shows recently. This, I mean, they've gone. I mean, they've done Invincible as animated. I assume because of budgetary reasons. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, the Tick. I could. I don't. I don't know, but the Tick does seem quite high budget at times. It does look like yeah, this wasn't something that we could just throw together with a few dollars we found down the back of the sofa. The, yeah, the fact that uh, Peter Sarah Sarah, yeah, him I, Peter Sarah Finowitz. Sarah Finowitz. There we go. I think his, his costume changes three times in two seasons. Mm. Suddenly seems like an expensive project, but I think I, do, I don't know if it's at the end of Resident Alien that it's like, hey, what else is weird and based off of <laughs> off of a um, comic book property book that no one's really invested yeah. in. The tick. Um, but yeah, man, real good, real good cast, real, real ridiculous, and painfully self-aware. And I think that's that is the beauty of the tick. It it knows. It just knows. Yeah, and it it makes the exact jokes I want to make. Like, there's there's one point in the episode I, I watched yesterday where the tick's like, and we cannot allow this spree of evil to stand. And I'm like, spree evil. And then one, literally the next second, he's like, yeah. oh, spree evil. Spree evil, yes. And it's like, wow, this is, this is like a... <laughs> this is the kind of wordplay I would have written for this show. And knowing that kind of makes me a little bit sad, but also... Yeah. Incredibly grateful that someone else is working in the same dumb level that I am. I just feel like it speaks to us all in the way that it just yeah, stuff like that, you're like, yeah, I can relate. Yeah. I know. That's what I would have thought. <laughs> um so yeah, uh 
big into Resident Alien, big into the tick at the moment. And uh, yeah, Alan Tudyk is a boat. I didn't know I needed it, but... I mean, the guy has range. <laughs> he does, as long as it's like real weird. weird. Yes, as long as it's like robots and boats and aliens. I feel like he has played a couple of humans. Firefight human, I assume. Yeah, I mean, he was he was basically a child in a man's body in Firefly. Not that he, much has changed in his like. No, nothing. Nothing's changed. What is it? If you watch the honest trailer for Firefly, it does sort of say, and Alan Dudick is Alan Dudick. Yeah, that's... It's kind of charming because, you know, we get a lot of actors who kind of play themselves and it can be kind of annoying, but when it's it's him, I'm kind of okay with it. It's like, even when he's a boat, he's still, like, the exact same character in webcam mounted to a boat form format yeah i'm trying to he's even the same in i mean i'm going back but i robot the the will smith film oh god yeah he's sunny the robot yeah he is and he's you can still tell it's him even though he's basically been replaced by a cgi CGI robot robot. there's it's more it's a more serious version but yeah it's very obviously him um yeah, you can spot yeah. him. Although I did struggle to spot him as K2, I have to say, in Rogue One. It, yeah. It did take me most of the film where I went, hang on a second. <laughs> I think that's one of those instances where he actually varied up the voice a little bit rather than just... Yeah, it's very different to his other voice work. Like, if you he did a couple of voices in oh god what was it star on the forces of evil which was a cartoon that was on disney xd um, ah, the past, the past. <laughs> and he did he did ludo in river who was star's dad and both voices you could definitely tell it was him it was very obviously him yeah i i think i often wonder like is that what people want, though? Is it just that they cast Alan Tudyk to play Alan Tudyk and people are okay with it? I feel like they do at this at this point. Yeah. It's like Disney put him in all their animated films, even if they have to put him in as... I mean, what was Tuk Tuk in Raya and the Last Dragon? Because <laughs> that's who he played in that. I mean, he was the chicken in Moana. <laughs> Which um, seems like, with no with no insult meant to him, it seems like that's a role nobody needs to play. Yeah, it's, it's like, because they do say, because he's been in every single one since Wreck-It Ralph, so there is this myth that he's sort of Disney's good luck charm, so they always find a way to put him in there. And obviously in Moana, it's basically, it's Pacific Islander culture, and he's not a Pacific Islander, so it's like, well, what role can we give him? We'll throw him in as a chicken, and then at least we've got him in the film. And it feels like with Raya and the Last Dragon, because that's obviously based on Asian culture, and, you know, it's sort of Asian actors involved, and it's like, well, what can we give him? We'll give him the weird animal sidekick again. I mean, you know, if, you, if you're good at something, I guess. Gotta go for it. But, yeah, I can't imagine that was particularly taxing on acting ability. Maybe I'm wrong. It's, it's got to be said, you start looking into Alan Tudyk's, like, um, what's the acting equivalent of a bibliography? 
Filmography. Filmography, thank you. It, it is just everything all the time. I mean... He's in, he's in yeah. everything. He's in everything. He's never short of work, that man. I have. To be fair. And fair play to him. So, yeah. Um, Hustle away, sir. Hustle away. <laughs> so... Have you have you been watching anything else Alan Tudyk related, superhero related, or are we should should we get to no, the show? We probably should. I'm trying to think now. No, I've not. I've yeah. No, I've nothing nothing with his voice in it lately that I know of. But he's in everything, so I might have been watching it. He might have been in there accidentally. I mean, we we can have like this um, regular uh, Alan <laughs> Alan Tudyk. <laughs> watch like check-in think, segment where yeah, we i think we should do that moving forward we'll just see what have we watched this week that he's in <laughs> um yeah I, I didn't expect this segment to go for that long <laughs> and I, I, I like that we've done this like instead of comic book news or instead of anything relevant we've just yeah we've just gone down the the filmography of alan tudyk route well um yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm into it. Yeah. I'm a bit surprised, but I thought we were just going to touch on Resident Alien, and then I remembered the tick, and then <laughs> it just spiraled out. <laughs> um, so <clears throat> back to the point of the episode. The point of the episode, which we yeah. will re- now return to, is homesick pilots. Yeah. Now, some people may remember that once upon a time we talked about the first issue on another podcast at another time in another world. Uh, yes. Um, however, that's not currently available online. So <laughs> if you missed it, you get to relive it live now and in person. Yeah. Uh, in person and probably not live. But other than that, <laughs> yeah, live and in person. Um. I feel like I should have, like, an intro for this prepared, and I don't. So unless you've got something, like, structured, I was just going to, like, roll the dice on describing this comic. Just go for it. Roll that dice. See where we end up. Okay. So Homesick Pilots, uh, the first trade is out on the 19th. Um, it's by the name of Teenage Haunts. We have all the single issues, so... Yeah. I'm, I'm pretty into jumping the gun on this one a little bit. Um, it's written by Dan Waters, who I interviewed last year. And at that point, I think he'd just started working on this and it was kind of a mysterious project with no name. Um, he's it, it is arted by Casper Wingard. I, in advance, well, not in advance because I've just said his name. If I'm wrong, I'm real sorry. I... Yeah, we apologise for the pronunciation of your name, sir. We can't, we don't know these things. Um, yes, but I, I think I'm settled on Casper Wingard, if I'm wrong. Correct us, people yes. of the internet. Uh, lettered by Aditya Bidakar, who is yep. one of our go-to-letters for favorites. all the things we read, it seems. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, then we've got extra things. We've got, you know, designer Tom Muller. Production artist Erica Schnatz and uh, White Noise Marketing Tara Ferguson. I'm going to assume that's White Noise is in that collective we talk about a lot. Yeah, that collective we really, really like. Yeah. Yeah, we we probably need to stop. I think. <laughs> I, I, I think we've had a dangerous amount of like 
Rom V, Dan Waters, Ryan O'Sullivan, and Alex uh, Pat Alex Nadal. Nadal Sheer. Actually, yeah. maybe, maybe slightly less. Um, I don't, Alex, I, Alex and Ryan. So maybe we've we not can... had. Yeah, we need to. We we need to. You know, even out our white noise collective discussioning towards the two lesser known members at this point. I don't think they're lesser known. I think we just discussed just less because they have less, less new issues. Yeah, lesser covered. Write yeah. more stuff, guys, so we can talk about you more. <laughs> Um, I mean, we we did talk about Friendo at some point recently, so I feel like... We did, yeah. Was that also a different podcast? Never mind. That was also <laughs> a different podcast. That was the Christmas of last year. We had a very white noise Christmas. Yeah, which I feel like was completely unappreciated by everybody. Because it came out on, like, Boxing Day. <laughs> like, the fools we are. Anyway, yeah. Homesick Pilots, right, in a nutshell. Yeah. Homesick Pilots are a band. The year is 1994, I think. It is, yeah. Oh, thank God. The year is 1994. Homesick Pilots are a band. They are Ami, Rip, and Buzz. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and they, we basically start off with them at a gig of a band that they know but do not like. The yes. Nuclear Bastards. Um, which is in a abandoned bowling alley, or a recently closed down bowling alley at least. And they decide that they need to put on a cooler punk gig. Yeah. As we all do. And decide that that cooler punk gig... Well, Ami decides that that cooler punk gig should be in a allegedly haunted house in their town of Santa Manos. Yes. Yeah. I like that I've got the comic next to me to refer to. That's incredibly that's, helpful. That's right handy. <laughs> Uh, so they decide that's going to happen. Well, she decides that's going to happen. And then in the middle of the night goes to check out said haunted house. Mm. Um, which goes interestingly. And then her friends go looking for her because they know she talks about it. They run into the nuclear bastards there and have a kind of showdown in the house where the house gets real. Uh, Murdery. Murdery, that's the word I was going to go for as well. Um, and then <laughs> Ami is kind of sent on missions by the house to claim back objects that are haunted that have been taken from the house to bring back the ghosts that have gone missing. And then this book basically spirals in a direction I didn't expect. Well, well, no, I did expect, because it's the opening pages and Dan talked about it last year, of Haunted House Max. Yes. But, but in a way that... No, for some reason, the idea of Haunted House Max and then the reality of it... Well, not the reality of it, but the... <laughs> <laughs> the comic book reality of it are two things that are like okay that's a cool premise and then you see it happen it's like ah so that's how that would be yeah okay it's it's a really nuts premise it's mad and i love it <laughs> it's it's absolutely crazy but it's so good yeah, I so I I guess we both reread this like yesterday. Yeah, and 
it's just good stuff, isn't it? I... It's really, it's, yeah. I mean, I didn't know entirely what to expect because that the first issue is kind of different in a way to the rest of it because it's sort of introducing the characters and the house. Yeah. And then by the fifth issue, you're like, man, this is even better. This is just so good, damn it. Yeah. Yeah, I think... I think that's very accurate. I think the first issue does a lot to introduce everyone and does it really, really smoothly. I think when we see, like, the introduction of each character and kind of the opening scenes at the gig where the police come in and break everything up and we basically get an immediate look at who Rip is with the kind of, like... When they're betting on what's gonna, what the police are gonna say, and he's like, just assaulted an officer, and then yeah, yeah. I think we get that an immediate, yeah, we get an immediate like indication, and I think we get that for everybody here, um, from Rip and Rip, Buzz and Amy, and then from the nuclear bastards themselves in. All right. Okay. We, we, yeah. <laughs> mostly in the form mostly meg and robbie we find out who they are up front and we kind of get hints as the issue goes on that zach and sid zach is exactly the same as rip and i guess that's the joke that i've met you know i've known a lot of drummers (laughs) and it's the truth they're all they're all the same person dressed in different clothes I just, I just like clones of each other. <laughs> Whether they want it to be true or not, um, but I, I think it's really interesting. I think all the characters come off really well, and you kind of see who everyone is really clearly. And yeah, whilst it's it's a weird kind of action horror. Yeah, I would go with action horror. Well, I don't know if yeah. that's... Is that a genre? Could it be. is now. Um, a, an action horror punk book. <laughs> There's still kind of some quite heartfelt moments and some quite odd comedy moments as well in it, I think. Yeah. I think that's a weird combination of things to put into a book and... When I was reading it through it yesterday, I realised how good that page is where Rip tells the story of the kid who went missing in the house. Oh, yeah. And it's, like, real simple, like, sepia kind of colour scheme and just his, like, narration of allegedly what happened to this kid, which is vague but terrifying, I think, is... Yeah, it, it's like that, you know, it's one of those stories that, you know, kids would tell themselves, you know, sort of these urban legends passed around. But mm. there's something a little bit creepy real about the like, the way that it's told. Yeah, I think the, you know, he broke in, kid breaks into the house and they find him weeks later, you know, dying of organ failure. He's been wandering around for weeks and, you know, claims everything keeps moving, and then they find his fingernails embedded in the wall next to the yeah. door. Man, that's 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 good quality, like... Horror. <laughs> and what is it, like six panels, maybe? Yeah, that's all it is. And, and it's really it, it impactful. Works. 
and I think we get that as like a little horror opener almost coupled with like the confrontation with the nuclear bastards which is such a good band name I it's it's terrible but it's great and I think that's yeah. that's the level all band names should aim for but they have the the confrontation and then in the same thing it, like to round off the confrontation Amy tries to spit at Robbie and just spits on her own shoe and I think there's there's a certain weird balance between like horror fight <laughs> joke that I wasn't expecting and it works and then we get a, a we get even more good panels where we have kind of Amy having a conversation with herself about, you know, what's going to be said to her when she gets back to the foster home she's living in. And then she decides to go check out the haunted house. And there's some great things throughout this in the art where we kind of get like the same panel repeated with different coloring or different, um, yeah, just the same panel with different colouring. We get a couple of cross-sections of the house. We get, in the first issue, the nuclear bastards coming in through the back window and homesick pirates coming in through the attic, and they kind of yeah they zigzag their way yeah. to the middle where they cross over. And then we get that revisited in the last issue where Amy kind of realises what's up with the house. and Yeah. It's, it's real good, Angela. It's real, real it, good. It, it is indeed. It is. It's like, and I like the fact that all the characters are really well realised in a, you know, you don't skimp on the characterization, but there's it, it, it's pared down to this is what you need to know. This is who they are. This is what they're like. Because mm. in, in, in a lot of comics, particularly when you have a female protagonist, I've noticed it's taken down to the common denominator but it's like things like that first bit where she i can't remember which issue it is is it the first issue or is it the second issue where she flashes i think it's the second one where she flashes back to how she met buzz and rip to start with the start of the second issue it's the start of the second issue um but that that just sums up how their relationship started in what is actually just a couple of pages where she's going you know where she's tightrope walking across the top and she falls and buzz kind of attempts to catch her and kind of fails bless him yeah. and they have that whole exchange about the Ramones and it's just <laughs> so good which alright I, I mentioned this on Twitter and the the exchange about the Ramones um, at the time of issue 2 coming out and I'm, I'm going to butcher this because I can't remember all the words when Buzz says that the Ramones suck because they're a bunch of old guys trying to play pop but they suck at it, and that's why they're so angry, and that's why they're so great. Yeah. There was something about that little, like, two panels that, at the time, immediately made me think, that is the best, like, explanation of the Ramones in, like, I don't know, less than 30 words. That's just, like, you've completely explained the Ramones... And immediately off the back of that, I decided to do something that I wanted to do for ages and listen to every single Ramones album <laughs> from, like, I don't know, I want to say 74, 77, 70, 
that year in the 70s yeah. and decided to sit down and listen to every single Ramones album. Um, not in one sitting, that'd be madness. I'd be dead. I'd... <laughs> Remote um, overload. <laughs> which, uh, you know, can get you. That is really bad for your system. Um, <laughs> so I decided to sit down and listen to every single Ramones album in, like, progression. Um, Marta suffered through it. I, <laughs> um, I I don't think she had a good time. I did. I had a great time, and I, I feel like that's all homesick pilot's fault. Because if not, yeah. I'd be a normal person, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's so much about this that I like, and there's little heartfelt things like the talk about the Ramones that made me think yeah. this feels sincere in a really odd way because it's such a strange combination i also felt like we get that with the pages that are just like black with a little bit of narration yeah i really like those because it's almost like a segue but in a really subtle way like you know we have there is a scene something happens Mm. And then sort of almost like Army's trying to work through it and then we're somewhere else. And it's just, it, yeah, it's like dropping through the rabbit hole a little bit. And I really like that. Yeah, definitely. It's, um, yeah, I, I think it is a little bit of a break between everything else and it does work as a good segue. Um, I also think it's got some of the best, like, bits of narration. I think there's certain yeah. things. There's a conversation, I say a conversation, a conversation with yourself. Um, <laughs> there's a section later on in, I think it's issue four, issue five, I don't know, where um, Amy talks about the house putting corridors between people and then uses that as a metaphor. And yeah. It's real good stuff. I, I realise right now that we're just kind of gushing over homesick pilots in no particular order. Um the thing is, it's, it's yeah, it's easy to do because I mean I don't tend to read a lot of horror books. I'm finding I'm reading more and more. Don't know, don't know what's happened there. I think that really, might be partially my fault. <laughs> I think it might be your fault, but we'll gloss over. But this, it's not like a typical horror book. I mean, there's clear horror elements. It's a house that murders people. Let's not mm. gloss over that. And there's the whole ghost thing and, you know, these these objects cause all kinds of weird crap to go down and all of that. But at the same time, it's not just a horror book. It's a book about friendship and relationships between people and lost teenagers trying to work out how they exist in the world and, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Going. There's a lot going on. Um, and then also, you know, you know, haunted house mech fights, which is where. <laughs> but it all works. Like you wouldn't have thought that something that can be so sincere about the character stuff can also go really absurd. But that absurdity is absolutely believable. It's like, yeah, I believe that a haunted house can get up and punch a ghost in the face. <laughs> That's. <laughs> And that's really hard to do to sort of mix up those genres all together and have it be this good. Yeah, no, no, definitely. I think 
if this was a straight haunted house book, um, I don't think it would be as good. Yes, thank you. Now I, it's like I've. What's that book that is image and it's a haunted house book and I love it and no one cares. Ghosted. Ghosted. Oh yeah. So the first volume of Ghosted is essentially a haunted house book about a it's like I don't know. A haunted house book slash Ocean's Eleven and someone's tasked with stealing a ghost from allegedly the most haunted house. And it's a really good book. But it's a hard sell because it's kind of, it is exactly the book it says it's going to be. And whilst this is exactly the book it says it's going to be, I think there's a lot more depth to this and a lot to get into. If you're not into it for the ghosts, maybe you're into it for the haunted house max or the more heartfelt moments, the friendship, the... References to punk music. Yeah, maybe you're just in, in, into it for the punk, and I can, <laughs> I can respect that as well. You know, it's all, it's all good. I, I think there is a relatability, and I think this, uh, one of the draws for me is like that opening scene where they're at the gig for the band they hate, yeah. talking about how they need to be do something cooler because I've had that conversation. <laughs> I've it's and, relatable yeah and i think that thing where you have a band where like they're friends with or at least it comes across that some of them are friends with meg but maybe they don't like robbie and the rest of the yeah, bastards i got that feeling yeah um and, and i think you have that i think i you know i've i've known bands where we're like friends with one person but we don't really like the rest of them because they're the, kind of the worst and <laughs> it's yeah it's it is relatable from that sense and i think all the kind of punk band or any band for that matter moments do feel kind of honest and relatable and quite teenage and unfortunately even not teenaged. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, make of that what you will. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think there's a lot of different hooks to get you into this and I really think everybody should be into this. Or maybe not everybody, but I think everybody should at least give this a try. I think they should. Because like I say, I didn't know what to expect. And it's, you know, horror books are not generally my thing. But that's changing. We'll gloss over. Um, But then when I started reading it, I was like, oh, this is good. And then by issue three, I was like, this is really, really good. Yeah, I, th- I think there is a clear pickup. I think whilst the first two issues kind of establish a lot and establish quite a range of things, like we, we obviously get the characters and like the concepts of the haunted house and the reality of the haunted house in the first yeah. issue. Second issue, we get kind of caught up on how everyone knows each other and then the f- brief fight where Amy tries to get back the horseshoe from the... Yeah, from the possessed woman. Is she yeah. possessed? Cursed? P- possessed with luck. No? Cursed with, with luck. luck. Cursed with luck, yeah. Yeah, and... See, that, that goes in some really interesting directions as well. Yeah, the idea that good luck can be a curse and it makes you question what's real and what's just because you've got good luck from the horseshoe and... It's a really interesting, strange combination of ideas, and I really liked it. I think 
whilst it's obviously a, a pretty tragic story, there's some really yeah. interesting things, and we see like she walks away from a car wreck because she's lucky, and yeah, things like that that kind of do a lot to show just how powerful even one of these ghosts is. Yeah. Um, and then we obviously find out that the horseshoe is old James who owned the house and we get his like backstory from Buzz later on. Um, which is that, that is issue three, isn't it? That where yeah. he kind of does the reveal that old James, you know, had this house and yeah, lost was... everything but the house. And then everybody who's, well, yeah. not, maybe not everybody who's lived there, but there's been murders, there's been suicides. Yeah. Oh, that was the murders, like the murder bit where you've got like, it is like a toy mech with just a close up with the blood and then it's like really bad murders or something like that. And then the next panel's a child holding it and it's covered in blood and it's like, yeah, that's dark. But also, and then I think there's suicides and you have a sort of a silhouette of somebody hanging in the next panel. That whole page about when Buzz is describing the terrible things that have happened in this house. It's not sensationalised, but you get just enough to go, yeah, really, really bad things happened in that house. Yeah, and I, I think we get... Issue three is kind of, I guess, the history of everything, isn't it? In a yeah. way. So we see the history of we see the issue starts with amy talking about how the band's first gig went and um credit to casper for something i complained about recently a man who can draw guitars yay it's, it's such a simple request but it really matters to me i and he's he's done well there he's... i just like it when people can draw guitars and basses and are aware of <laughs> how they work relatively common objects yeah um and yeah then then we get the history of the house and we kind of see rip with his street punk friends who are kind of the worst oh um, they genuinely are yeah i i feel like whilst it's important to see what where rip is why buzz is looking for ambi and ambi is ghosting around rescuing lamps there's a little point there where I feel like Dan Waters might just be trying to talk about people he's known that annoyed him. <laughs> yeah, based that on that scene at the Bad Religion gig where the guy's like, I hate music, that's why I listen to punk, because it's punk. horrible. And it's yeah. like, no, no, this is a conversation you have had at a Bad Religion gig. I believe that entirely. Yeah. Um. Definitely. Um- <laughs> Yeah, and the way I'm okay with that. It's funny, and it's unfortunately is yeah relatable. (laughs) Yeah, Um, just the way the guys. Yeah, well, you know, punk might be able. Well, good if punk fails. Good. It's like yeah, yeah, that's fine. You've you've met a guy like this definitely, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um. But I I like that, and I like the idea that I feel like there's a lot of okay. I, I. I've talked to Dan last year and I know about the, him being, you know, involved in uh, the grindcore punk scene. And I can obviously see that there's a lot of his experiences layered in this. I don't know how punk Casper was, but <laughs> I, 
I'm, I'm willing to find out. But I, I can definitely see that there's some teenage experiences folded into this. Yeah. Which, again, I think helps make it relatable and makes um, Ami, Buzz and Rip feel very human and proper, like proper people are. Well, that's it. I don't know why I got dead like broad then. But. Yeah, proper people like. Because um, they are like proper people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it's like they're, they're, they're really well-rounded as characters and you get, you know, it, it would be so easy to just reduce them to kind of stereotypical teenagers. Like you could have Rip be this stereotypical, you know, teenager into punk and stuff but you've actually got like you know the fact that he kicked the police officer assaulted the police officer it's hilarious when he's jumping out the window and's like nailed it yeah um but then later on of course that same police officer comes and and takes him into the woods and basically beats him to a pulp um which is really tragic but and he could be such a stereotype rip is probably the most one you'd think stereotype but Mm. he's not because you've got all this back stuff about his past and clearly you know he's got all these issues and he's fallen in with the wrong crowd and drugs and all the rest of it and it make it lifts him above the stereotype he's more interesting than just yeah you know punk kid who hates the police and he's a rebel and all of that there's actually more to him than that and he isn't just as he would superficially appear and like even with buzz the fact that he is so determined to find dammy and what went on and he's a really good friend um and even the little bit where she comes and visits him while he's in bed, that sounds terrible, but she's, you know, she's trying, you know, she's picked up a haunted lamp. She's just on her way back to the house. She decides to just, you know, check her friends. Okay. Um, and then we see that he lives with his aunt and it's just completely sort of throw away in a sense, but it's just a little detail that, right. Okay. So Buzz lives with his aunt. They've all got these interesting broken home backgrounds. Um, and it's just, yeah, you know, foster kids in the system and, you know, what mm. happens to the pairs. And it's just interesting that that's never, it's never sort of pushed in your face. It's 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 done completely organically and you realise, oh, yeah, you know, these kids, they've had it rough. Yeah, they've, definitely. They've got each other and, you know, that's part of the reason why they're friends. Maybe. Yes. I, I I agree. No, I I think I think it's true. I think there's some subtle little, like yeah, showing us that Buzz lives with his aunt, and that then showing us that Rip hangs out with a bunch of you know old punks under a bridge, and <laughs> that I, I think it all serves to show that yeah, they are kind of out on their own and not your typical teenagers, which is good because. We yeah. have a lot of books with your typical teenagers. We do, yeah. Particularly at the moment, there seems to be a, a glut, which I'm not complaining about because most of them are good. But yeah, it's nice to have more real. These feel like real teenagers in a sense. Yeah, and I think it's nice as well that it feels like for perhaps something that's quite rare, it feels like this is someone who's you know 
into punk, or at least very much was into punk, writing a bunch of punk teenagers rather than someone adding a punk teenager to make them more interesting. I think we get a lot of comics, or at least have got a lot of comics, a lot of everything, a lot of films, a lot of comics, a lot of... Books. Books, thank you. Other media, television shows. (laughs) That introduce the goth kid or the punk kid or whatever just to kind of be like hey we, we've we've got one <laughs> yeah um oh god that's just made me think about how much the end of the breakfast club annoys me oh god yeah <laughs> um to allison who's like yeah. incredibly goth and then stops yeah. and mm. and then she's she's normal now she's you know she's grown as a person she has let go her goth ways and it's like really that's that's a great lesson yeah continue. Anyway, um, criticism of the Breakfast Club I can save for another time and another podcast. Um, I don't know what podcast that would be. <laughs> there will be one out there. There's a podcast for everything. But to go back, yeah, but it does feel like Dan Waters is kind of writing this from his own personal experience, and that gives it a really good, real feeling. It, it's not performative. It's... Mm. It's it, yeah. It just feels real and more relatable as a result. Yeah, definitely, and that's nothing but a good thing, if you ask me. Yeah, it's a very good thing. To move away from the relatable for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> also, in issue three, we kind of see the full collection of ghosts, as we've mentioned, and we we consistently get actually throughout a few issues that a panel where everything's fine there's a flash of red and we see the um horseshoe old james silhouette in a door and then everything flashes back to normal yeah which is so good in like a cinematic like styling of this is you know the flash of the ghost that you're not sure you've seen but whilst we see all the different ghosts here um and we see you know the Gundam figure and the so if I'm if I've got this right, it's a horseshoe. Yeah. A lamp, a, a fridge, lamp, a fridge, a wardrobe, yep. a Gundam, and a clock. Yeah. The clock isn't introduced until the end of the clock late on. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, or maybe issue four. Should it might be issue four. I can't remember. Not sure. Um. So we, we kind of get these visuals and we see later on that they all are different aspects of the house and can become this kind of haunted house mech that stands up yeah. and houses about. I don't know. I don't know what how you describe a house that stood up. But, but then we also see um, in the first fight with Ami, we see that the horseshoe in itself can be this kind of one-person mech thing. <laughs> yes, because in... Is it issue four where... It kind of goes, teams up with Buzz? Yeah, because that's when she's going to find the clock, isn't it? And yeah, and I she think that's, gets attacked is that the issue by of the... Three? It's at the end of issue three. It's it like the cliffhanger three? with the videotape. Yeah, with the videotape. And then, so... And at this point, Buzz has made his way, but the house has let him in, so to speak. And yeah. the house then uses him, and the horseshoe makes it, yeah, like you say, like a little mech suit. And then he goes off to help Amy. Um, 
And yeah, that in itself is interesting because it's that's the only ghost we see doing something like that. And mm. is it because it's the horseshoe, and is it because it the horseshoe directly relates to James, who owned the house, whose ghost is what I love about his ghost is literally he has a horseshoe for a head. He but doesn't... still has a terrifying kind of lower half face. Yeah, he sort of has a face, <laughs> but his head is a horseshoe, which is just a great way to visualise that because it is something not human and a little bit creepy. Um, but he's the only. He seems to have that power to, you know, here's a suit. And at first, you think, oh, it's great. He's he's teaming up with Buzz, but it's entirely selfish because he just wants Buzz to rescue Amy, and then he just abandons Buzz. Because he's not interested. Yeah, <laughs> basically, and I—it's interesting because we have that scene where he's kind of jumping across town in like an incredible Hulk-style fashion. Yeah, it's quite quite funny to go and yeah to go and save the day, and it's a kind of light-hearted, weird sequence. And Amy talks about how you know Buzz is having the time of his life, while she's like fighting off a anthropomorphic videotape um yeah. that sounds insane when you say it out loud doesn't it it does but it's true <laughs> i wasn't ready for that um but it's interesting yeah we see like the house's priorities and we also see like the willingness to work with buzz to save Ami, and it kind of begs the question is this where we're going? Are we going to get some kind of haunted house Power Rangers? I mean, that's that's where my mind was going, yeah. Because um, don't get me wrong, the, the actual, whilst the initial design we see of the, I can't, I don't know if she gets a name, the lucky woman in California, well, there are, we're always in California. Oh, get, yeah, lucky woman, yes. Yeah, the, the suit design changes, so she looks one way when she's merged with the horseshoe, and then Buzz has got a, a similar but different design where he's got, like, giant horseshoe arms. Um, yeah. And I like it, and then, then we kind of get the... Um... <laughs> So much to unpack. Um, we the fact get... you just said giant horseshoe arms is a thing. I know. Um, we also kind of get that while Buzz is hopping around trying to save the day in issue four and bail Amy out, we've got old James like playing this like Obi-Wan Kenobi style role where he's like chipping in with little bits of... yeah horseshoe ghost advice yeah you use the suit buzz <laughs> yeah it's <laughs> it's really weird and it's just all the things all the things it is <laughs> it's so good because there's a lot going on and even when you've got buzz hilariously jumping from roof to roof in his ghost mech suit you've also got that narration um about you know that about why he feels so exhilarated. It's like the first time that this happens, you feel like this and yeah, you know, ultimately you're going to be disappointed, but for the first time, it's really, really good. Mm. Narration. I can't remember the exact, I wish I made notes of the exact wording. I've just put good narration, which isn't really helpful (laughs) in notes, is it? Um, 
but yeah, that whole narration bit where he's jumping about and Amy's sort of describing, you know, she understands that feeling is is really good as well. There's, there's so much going on above just his buzz in a ghost mech suit coming to the rescue of Amy who's being beaten up by a giant videotape ghost. If if memory serves, the narration is about the the first time you're at a punk gig before you've met, you know, that's it. The elitists and you feel, you know, unbeatable and yeah, yeah. Um, I don't want to butcher Dan Waters' words by trying to ad lib what I think but, <laughs> the words are, but it's it's like that, yeah. It, it's good stuff and yeah it ties in really nicely with yeah buzz arriving and stomping into the action um man this this is this, this is just such good art we get a few yeah. pages where it's buzz fighting tft the like, videotape the videotape monster yeah um that i've got very little dialogue other than like yeah um, I think he says goddamn lucky or lucky at some point and it's got such a good action sequence vibe and as as we've brought up a couple of times this year with like Radiant Black and the upcoming Inferno Girl Red um, Matt's been writing about Ultra Mega, we've kind of got a lot of like 90s kid ideas coming around now so stuff yeah. like the um transforming hero and the you know mechs and the kaijus and all coming together yeah. at a time right now and i feel like we get vibes of vibes vibes isn't the right word we we get glimpses of that here so we get like this fight where um was slightly bigger than usual obviously horseshoe arms <laughs> yeah goes face to face with sentient videotapes and then we see in the next issue in the kind of climactic throwdown the kind of megazord house versus the, yeah. the giant tape monster and i think whilst it's something we're seeing a lot of this year it's something that is very much aimed at me and i'm okay with that <laughs> It does. It does feel like there is a bit. It'd be interesting, actually, if someone who was not familiar with Power Rangers or the concepts of Power Rangers or you know mechs or kaiju's or any of that were to read this, they probably wouldn't, because I don't think they exist. But someone, someone who is unfamiliar, because there's a certain amount of cultural knowledge. I feel mm. that you have to have to really have that little bit of oh my god it's like power rangers it's so good and there is a little bit of like i feel like you get more out of it having that cultural background of sort of being aware of these pop culture things yeah and it, it plays to the audience in the best possible way definitely and i i there's something about ghost power rangers as like a even if that's not exactly what this is, and that's just like a loose description, that is just undoubtedly quite a cool idea. It's it's, yeah. it's it's a level of weirdness I didn't really think we were gonna get in this. 
I mean, okay, it's it's all levels of weirdness, but <laughs> it's a more absurd level of weirdness. I didn't think we were gonna get to that point where you were gonna get like buzz in a with giant horseshoe arms and things like that. I mean, you mm. get you know that the house is gonna get up and walk because you see that in the first issue, the first yeah. few panels. But you don't know that it's gonna be punching videotape monsters in the face. No, you very much do not, <laughs> and I. I could I could talk about this for a long time and just keep digging into other things. Um, that there are concepts I I like all of this. <laughs> yeah, and that there there are ideas within it because we get like that. Obviously, Buzz and Rip know that the house has killed the pilot. No, not the pilots. The house the has killed bastards. nuclear bastards. That's the one. Um, but Amy doesn't know that because she wasn't there. She was off rescuing the horseshoe, so she doesn't know that it killed like three people. She knows. Yeah. And there's yeah, there's some twists to that, and I think the reveal where she comes to learn that that is the reality and then work with the house there's a lot to unpack and a lot of like a lot of baggage and a lot of layers to yeah everything there's ah awesome i get to do that thing that annoys me so yes so you know the the location of the house is really you know another main character here Yep. Yeah, there um, we go. But in a much more literal form than we normally get to say that, because yes. it's it's rather it's rather a location is given like character. A character and a personality and an active role in something. And I think the old James House as kind of a moving living thing feels really different to when we normally talk about location being a yeah normally when, yeah normally when we say a location is a character it's like it, metaphorically. It has, it's metaphorically it has an important place in the plot or you know it, it's helping to tell the story in the way that it exists whereas this is literally the plot this is literally partaking in the plot it's, and it's telling the, the location story punching things in the face so <laughs> yeah it's different it, it's literally and it has got character and the house itself is a character and i mean that bit about where army sort of where she discovers that it's you know killed all the people um what i like about it is how she actually wants to believe the good things about the house up until that point she's quite she you know she's quite defensive about the house and she's not She's quite, you know, like, the house is a good thing. And then it's like, oh, the house is very, very evil. Okay, but I can work with this because I can recognise in the lonely souls that inhabit this house, my own lonely soul. Mm. And so the house is alive and punching things. As you do. As you do, yeah. Man, it's good. (laughs) We keep saying it, but it's true. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And... There's a a nice, almost conclusive... I'm going to try and avoid some spoilers. There's a nice, largely conclusive ending to this. Yeah. 
basically sets up the next arc in a really nice way. Yeah. Um, and there are still questions to be answered. We still don't know much about Ami's background. We have this kind of mysterious organization that we don't have all the answers about. Um, we have, you know, more mechs on the horizon. Yeah. Um, Bigger, stronger, faster. <laughs> and then, you know, is the house destroyed? Is the house going to come back? Is the house is going to come back? I mean, well, yeah. That's like yeah. Haunted House 101, isn't it? Yeah. But you could never kill it. <laughs> the, there's a lot of moving parts here, and there's a lot of interesting ideas that I'm really into. I hadn't really realized when I started this and we read the first issue in December that, like, this was going to be something that I was really psyched about every month. And I'm glad it is. I'm glad this is one of those yeah. books that every month has continued to impress me and be really well written and really well drawn. I mean, that's, that's something we've not, well, we have touched on, but there are panels in this that there's some really interesting panel choices and some really simple ideas that work really well. Like, like yeah. I said, like showing the house four times at different points in the day really works. There's panels that are like lengthways of um, Amy's journey home in the first issue. There's, yeah, there's nothing short of good choices in paneling yeah. and layouts. And um, equally, the colours through this are like this... So good. ...amazing neon pastel landscape brilliance landscape pastel i don't know it feels very 1994 in the color choices and i like that it it evokes the you know it evokes that period in its color choices along with really nicely reflecting everything that's going on yeah and there's there's Panels that are done in relatively normal colouring, like the punk gig or when they're on the pier. And then there's panels, like I say, about like the sepia-toned stuff with the yeah. kid coming out of the house. Um, some of the fight sequences are all like monochromatic almost, where it's all shades of pink. We've also got stuff that there are scenes in the house where everything is covered in blood. And yeah, everything is red and black. Yeah, and it's some of the best pages for it, and some of the best panels. Yeah, um, it's like the murder of the nuclear bastards, R.I.P. Um, but when you see, ooh, the, the, the murder of the nuclear bastards the mur- is a hell of an album name. Leave that with me. <laughs> Mail it to yourself. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, that whole bit where yeah, and there is the moment where. I can't remember which one's head gets where he gets decapitated, but that is a really. Unfortunately, I want to say I think it's Zach. I think it might be. That's bad, but that is just a really dramatic. It doesn't pull any punches, but just that little panel where I think it is. It's a red background and black silhouette of his head coming off, basically, and it's just like that's a really. It it's it's not overly graphically gory. You know exactly what's happened, 
it just works really, really well. You know, I'm yeah. all for I'm all for night. You know, showing murders in interesting ways. <laughs> Might be something you need to work through, but okay. <laughs> to be a therapist. One, one thing I like here is the fact that we get this like unbelievable murder sequence where the house kills a bunch of people. Yeah. And then Rip and Buzz tear the door open and we get that kind of Shining-esque river of blood. Mm. And that's not even the end of the issue. No. <laughs> the fact that it's this huge, like, um, set piece of, you know, house murdering people. And then it's like, meanwhile in... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, in Hollywood, I think we're in, or somewhere else in LA. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's the the contrast between those two scenes is really interestingly done, yeah. and it, it's nice to see a glimpse. A lot of comics would leave on the cliffhanger and do the Amy reveal where she's all ghosty and glowing in the second issue. I think yeah. giving you that as the cliffhanger rather than the but what happened to her is. I guess disarms it being just a classic horror story and is like, no, she's, you know, doing this in somewhere else and she's, I don't know, glowy now. Yeah. Um, a little bit ghosty. She's a bit ghosty round the edges. Is that how she describes herself? Something like that, yeah. I, I've got to say, so whilst we've praised the colouring and honestly... I think Casper Wingard should always colour his own stuff. I Yeah, you, it, it feels <laughs> like a complete art package. Obviously, it needs to suit the book. And whilst, the, whilst stuff like Peter Cannon's Thunderbolt, the art, the colouring does suit the art, and it is a more classic superhero-styled book, it is nice here to see Casper colouring Casper. Um, it's in the stuff that he colours himself that I think we get this amazing colour palette and equally he also coloured Limbo which was his previous collaboration with Dan Waters got that right here Yeah, there it I was is. going to try and reread it before we did this I don't know <laughs> uh, but there are some similar visuals and similar um Maybe not concepts, but similar bits of ideas. We kind of see like out of date media being used in magic and um, the whole kind of video, no, TV screen in chest thing also appears in Limbo. So I'm, I'm going to reread Limbo and see if there are any more immediate connections I've missed. But yeah, I think Casper Wingard's colouring of his own art is really nice. Yeah. And I like that this is the kind of colour scheme that both of the books Dan and Casper have done together have got. I think they look awesome for it. Equally, yeah, that's right, yeah. equally, um, yeah. Aditya Bidikar's lettering is real good. I mean, it is shocking considering we say that every time he letters a book, but there's little panels. Um, I think it's when... Buzz is hopping around the city yeah. where he's got, he's saying, like, look out, look out, look out, and it kind of cuts in and out of yeah. the bubble. He's really nicely done. I feel like we've seen him do that in other comics, but I can't remember I, what. I feel like he has. Um, 
But I think there's a good showing that he's got some really good lettering ideas that do work. And whilst a lot of the lettering here is quite simple, I think stuff like the colours of speech bubbles. God, what have we become? We get into the real nitty gritty. Yeah, for some for some reason, this is who we've become. But I mean, he is he is one of my favourite letterers. Throwing that out there, um, he's very good. So I expect nothing less than top notch lettering. But there are some really nice little touches in the lettering. Definitely, yeah, and that's who we've become in recent <laughs> in recent, <laughs> in recent weeks. We've become with weeks, months, years. Yeah. Uh, I also like that we get the different speech bubbles when it's the voice of uh, old James, and we get the kind yeah. of uh, Sandman esque black speech bubbles with yeah. the white writing. Um, I imagine that there are many examples that are not Sandman. It's just as soon as you do black speech bubbles, it immediately that's- makes you think of Morpheus. Yeah, that's the go too, let's be honest. So, nothing but praise for this. I think, as a creative team, this is a lot of my favourite people all in the same space. I've got... Okay, I've got a couple of, like... I don't want to say criticisms, (gasps) but, like... No, not so much criticisms, but, like... Notes. One... Notes, I like those. There are times in the dialogue where, despite being teenagers in 1994 in California, um, they're very English, aren't they? (laughs) Yeah, this is yeah. I mean, as someone who who was has been brought up in England and is only really familiar with English teenagers as uh, as a species. yeah i it's familiar it never it never throws me out because i am used to the english teenager speaking i imagine if you were actual american from actual california there might be points where you go hmm these people do not sound like my native teenagers i can't remember what it was i should have made a note of it but there's a few things that characters say that i think I can't imagine anyone that isn't English saying that. Yeah, I know what you mean. I can't remember any of them either. Um, but yeah. I was going to try and flick through now and find, but I'm going to end up doing it for like... We're going to be here for a while. <laughs> yeah, there's like over 100 pages worth of comic here, isn't there? And... See, that's the other thing I like. Just to just to give buy you some time while you're going through those hundred pages, is there is a lot <laughs> of content here and it never but it never feels overly long. Like that first issue is what, thirty two pages, is it? It is. And don't get me wrong, not all of that is um story. Not with, all uh, that story. We we have extra. Uh, actually, no, no, it is. Most no. of it is. Yeah, we we've obviously got the front and back cover and then we've got a next issue preview and then so it's twenty eight pages. Twenty eight yeah. pages so of that- that's fairly that's fairly hefty for a first issue. A lot of, you know, modern comics tend to be 30 pages, but you have a load of previews at the back and all that kind of stuff. So it's quite... But it doesn't feel like that long. Like, I remember reading that first issue for the first time going, ooh, this did not feel as long as the page count led me to believe. It's interesting. It, it it's It's... That's... 
a good sign that the story is being told in the right way is that it doesn't feel mm. too long and it doesn't feel too short. But likewise, you go, wow, that's a lot of content, but it's all relevant. It's There's no filler in this book. Or killer, I feel Yeah. Like. <laughs> I uh, was waiting for you to say that. <laughs> um, I, I wish I didn't have to do it like every single time, <laughs> but I think I'm like in a contract with myself now. Um, I can't find the example of um, things being too English, but there's the few things that people say that's like, "Mm, I'm I'm not sure Americans would say these things, but I'm okay with it. I also, I I questioned at one point, like, I wonder why this isn't set in England. And I'm, I'm guessing it's because one, the haunted house upon a hill we don't have that here. <laughs> yeah, and like the aesthetic of the wooden house isn't something. We also don't have that here. Yeah, we are. So I can see that aesthetically, there's certain choices you have to set this in America. Also, um, yeah, I, I just think it, it work. It, I think it works a lot better to be an yeah. American set book. Um, yeah, I couldn't really see this. I mean, I've read both comic book and normal book normal book the one with the words fiction with haunted houses and there's there's more of there's a clear tradition in this country relating to haunted houses that tend to be sort of old and usually they have like haunted stones in them or or some sort of weird thing there's a whole it's a different sort of haunting as you get whereas in america it's that classic wooden house on the hill aesthetic that's been used for everything from psycho to um the monsters and the adams family and that kind of thing yeah and that works better for this sort of story like you can't imagine a haunted house here getting up and punching anyone no, they're all a little bit too like Squat. Sh- short and wide. What? Squat. Squat is a good word for haunted houses in England. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that is very true. And I think the for aesthetic purposes, yeah, America makes sense. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that I can write American teenagers any less English. I no. cannot. No. <laughs> I'm not even sure I can write like English teenagers that aren't like <laughs> very very oldum i think that's all i'd be capable of but yeah um not like i say not even a criticism just a a note that i did notice also observation yes an observation good thing also a second thing that is kind of based on responses i've seen on twitter so some of the cover some of the issues have had variant covers yes they have um and don't get me wrong Variant covers are, are very much our thing. We're a variant cover kind of podcast yeah. because, all right, because of Valiant Comics, all right, we've yeah. <laughs> we've been broken down and convinced that we need six copies of every comic we buy, and we need foil covers, and we need super yeah. ridiculous gimmicks because we're suckers. So, some of the issues have had variant covers. And whilst we're variant cover people, very much, yeah. And I'm all, I'm all for a good variant cover. I feel like there's been a lot of kind of 
social media praise, Twitter praise, let's be honest, largely, about the variant covers. And I just want to take a moment to say the five covers for these for first five issues. Yep. A perfection. <laughs> yes. Like the the style of the the logo and the kind of similar designs. So you've got Ami with the house on issue one. You've got the mech lucky woman with yep. the horseshoe issue two, issue three. You've got Buzz with like a TV screen in front of him. Issue four, I think, I can't, I'm not sure if it's Rip or if it's meant to be Zach from the Nuclear Bastards because he's got a little nuclear logo and he's all bloody. Uh, that could be Zach then. Pre-decapitation. Pre-decapitation, yeah. And, and then five, we've got like Ghost Ami with the mech house, which is a little nice kind of reflection yeah. of issue one, issue five. Um these, I, I just, I don't think there's been a better set of covers in comics like recently. Not, no, they haven't. I they are the, great. Yeah, and I, I think they all look great together. And I think I'm just going to say this now: if Casper decides to do like a printed set of the covers, I'll take them. <laughs> Hit me up. Um, but every time it's been like, hey, look at this cool cover by. I can't think. Tula Lote, Trad. I want to say Tradmore did one. I know Tula Lote did. I can't remember who else did them because that was that was the one that I was least impressed by. Um, <laughs> I don't like saying it because I like her work, but yes. yep, that is the one I was least impressed by. I'm I'm pretty sure there was a Tradmore one, and don't get me wrong, they're all good variant covers. But I I just I think people are overlooking. A little the perfect- bit. Yeah, the perfection of the original covers. Because, like you say, and they fit so well with, like, the whole of that first arc. Like, they they, they almost tell a story through the cover art also. It all harks back to the same sort of stuff. And it's, yeah, it's, it's rare to get that decent consistency in cover art these days. Yeah, and I, I like the fact that they feel like a set and it feels like a collective thing and i feel like we've we've really maxed this out with writing's good art's good coloring's good lettering's good covers are good all these things all the time i yeah i think there's been a lot of good comics to start off this year um yeah and a lot of good comics from image in particular i think they've been real consistent i mean don't be wrong i think obviously we're all about the indie books and i think every indie book we've i think every indie publisher has had some great output this yeah, year yeah yeah i mean aftershock and vault have both done done well this year yeah and i think um black mask valiant I think yeah everyone's had some good I don't know why Black Mask and Valiant were the ones I went for. I think cause you, <laughs> just because you'd taken Aftershock and I'd, Vault. Because I'd done Aftershock um, and Vault, yeah. Well, I, I think this is perhaps, I don't know how I want to phrase this. I think this is, I think Homesick Pilots may well be the coolest book this year. I I'll, think, I'll give you coolest, yeah. I, I think there's something about the merging of aesthetics and ideas that just make this feel like yeah, yeah. 
a, a really cool, awesome, like idea just done exactly yeah. the way it needed to be. And as we mentioned, you know, Dan Waters, Casper Wingard, uh, Aditya Bidakar, they're all people that we're fans of. Yeah. And so unsurprisingly, this is a book that ticked a lot of boxes for us and the books yeah. that did appeal. Um, but yeah, more of this. I know issue six is in June. There's going to be more issues. I'm really excited for it. I like that there's, you know, a little break, but then jumping back in, I think. Yeah, the second arc looks like it could be really, really good. Yeah, and I I initially thought this was going to be like a five-issue-and-done kind of book. Yeah. And I'm, I'm really intrigued by where the ongoing goes, because I think you could quite yeah. comfortably have left it with this one volume and had... Yeah. A good time. Don't get me wrong, there's stuff that's as we've said has been opened up to be explored and things we don't know yet. But Yeah, it's it's nice like I say, I would be perfectly if this was all we ever got of homesick pilots, it would have been perfect as is. But equally it's really nice that there's gonna be some more exploration of this particular weird concept. <laughs> yes. And if if they want to do Homesick pilot prints, hit me up. T-shirts, yes. whatever. I I, <laughs> I think I need a nuclear bastard T-shirt. <laughs> or yeah. also a homesick pilot's T-shirt. To be fair. Yeah. I, this, this seems like the kind of comic where you could do like band T-shirts for the bands involved, and yeah, I would be into. Also, oh, I'm kind of. I I think I am like morally obligated to do this i decided in my infinite wisdom to look if there was like if anyone had made a homesick pilots playlist on spotify has anyone done that well here's the thing (laughs) (laughs) um in my searching for homesick pilots there is one made by a man simply called dan i'm assuming that's the dan because he's also got a playlist called coffin bound um, <laughs> it would make sense, yeah. Which is, you know, it's you got some AFI, you got some Operation IV, Pinhead Gunpowder, Ooh. Misfits, um, Fugazi, Jawbreaker, Remarks. It's 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 all Zach all the time, if we're honest. Um, other people have also made Homesick Pilots playlists, but yeah, I I largely think everybody should go look into that if you want a bunch of, you know eclectic punk from the 90s and before that because i i often do as we know (laughs) yeah it speaks to you and obviously this immediately felt like the kind of comic that would would and could quite comfortably have a playlist to accompany it and that's obviously yeah one of the things i'm all about so yeah I think that's all I've got. I mean, I can keep going, but I think... We keep keep saying how really great and excellent this book is, which is absolutely (laughs) true. But I I think Um, there should be a limit to how much I say that today. Yeah, Yeah. Um, the bigger, longer and uncut not happening right now. (laughs) I I definitely recommend this. I think it's it's really worth checking out. And um, yeah, that's me. Yeah. Yeah, go read it, singles, trade, however you wish to read your comic books, whether you prefer them in a single or trade format, just go and read it. 
Yes. And the trade will be available, like, next week, I guess? I want to say 19th. But... 19th. So that will be at some point in the future. Um, <laughs> we, we, we've gone a little <laughs> early on this podcast episode, but yeah, the, the trade's out soon. You can grab them all. I don't know how easy it's going to be to grab them in shops, but digitally, they're all right there for you. Yeah. They're, they're just sitting there on Comixology, the website that doesn't tell you who the colorist is. That's right. All the lettering. All the lettering. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> so we've been Zach and Angela. This has been bigger than yeah. Capes. Yeah. And remember that comics <laughs> are bigger than bigger Capes. Bigger than Capes. Not even close. No, no one is. <laughs>